guess I better start prophesying then, hey? <laughs> I will, I promise, I promise. Would you allow me to just take off my shoes because I can't handle that. Okay, are you excited this morning? Yeah. I'm so excited. I just walk in here and I just can't help but feel God's, um, God's got an agenda this morning. Do you feel that? Can we just thank the worship team one more time, you guys? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing on the car ride here this morning. Me and Paul were just singing like, rain down. And we're like, whoa. I, f- I feel like the rain is coming. I feel like we're coming into a season of rain. And, and Carol, I just want to thank you as well. I don't know if you heard her, but at the end of worship, she's just going to us, a child is born. And you'll find how like prophetic that is in like a couple of moments. So you're prophetic, Carol. I just thank you for saying that. Um, so I'm very excited for this year. I'm so excited for 2016 because I believe it's a, it's a new season. It's a new song. It's a, it's a season of change and uh, it's to be excited. So make sure you get to Vision Sunday. Amen. I'm excited. It's our birthday next week. It's actually my birthday next week, the day before, ironically enough. <laughs> It's so funny. And I always forget my maiden name is Eastgate. I just think that's hilarious. It's our 30th birthday. Okay, so, you know, I did read somewhere that when you're in your 30s, you're your best looking. Okay, so I didn't read that in the Bible, but I read it somewhere. So let's just prophesy it's going to be our uh, best looking uh, decade. <laughs> no, the best is yet to come. So it's going to be, uh, it's very exciting. It's going to be great. So I'm, I'm excited and I was uh, pondering uh, where we're at and uh, I realised this is our seventh lap of youth ministry this year. Seven's a good number, isn't it? Because uh, Naomi and Haley Strawn are officially old enough to come to youth this year. So <laughs> that's amazing. It's exciting. So, uh, but just on that note, as I was sort of, as Paul and I sort of dialoguing this, and we're like, wow, are we coming into our seventh year? This, is, this, is, this has been a little while, you know. I've, I've been here eight years, eight years. It's close to a decade. Isn't that amazing? And um, yeah, it's crazy. I didn't think about that. But I'm thinking over the last six years of youth ministry, how uh, I've seen the promises of God come, uh, come to pass. But, you know, I've actually, I'm yet to see so many promises fulfilled. So many promises that God has given me for young people I actually have not seen come to pass yet. They thus far remain unfulfilled. Okay, now... Stay with me. It's going to be okay because the title of my message this morning is called Preparing for the Promise. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Come on. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are good. <laughs> and despite everything, Lord, you are good. And we will declare your goodness. We will say that you are good <laughs> and you're working all things for good for those who love and obey you, Lord. We thank you for your word this morning, Lord. We thank you for the word of God, that it's truth, that it's what we stand on, that it's what defines everything and we see through those lenses. And we thank you for that word of promises, God, and we stand upon them. And I just want to take a moment to pray right now before we get into it. Father, would you build faith in the house this morning? Would you fan into flame passion and faith, Lord? And would you just show us um, how good you are this morning? In Jesus' name, and everybody excitedly said, Amen. Amen. So good. Hallelujah. Okay, so I want to talk about promises this morning. Is that okay? Because God is a God of promises, is he not? He's a God of promises. The Bible is a book of promises. And um, we actually, as believers, we actually live in the midst of promise. We live in, um, in a covenant. It's a promise relationship. So the word promise is actually a common vocabulary for a believer. And um, I don't think the, the revelation dropped like how important promises are and, and how important our words are um, until I became a parent. Okay, because like even as a believer, you know, we get the promises of God and essentially we just have to take God at his word, don't we? We have to take him at his word. And so I don't think the penny really dropped uh, until I became a parent, specifically a parent of a toddler. Uh, When my baby grew into a toddler, they will take you at your word right? Okay. Toddlers are very, very good at holding you accountable to your promises. Are they not? Okay. You can't just flippantly promise things to a child. Simon, am I right? Yeah, buddy. You can't just promise your toddler an ice cream and not follow through because they'll get really scriptural actually. They'll start repeating your promise back to you again and again. They're like, you promised. And as my parent, I expect you to follow through with that. You know, if any parents in the house this morning, 
Yeah, okay. I had this experience a couple of weeks ago, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, and I'm on the beach with Eden, and um, it was just a bad decision on my heart. I'm just going to be real transparent with my parenting here. <laughs> parenting 101. <laughs> I was like, this is a bad decision. Why did I take my two-year-old and my six-month-old to the beach uh, on a really hot day and just did not time the feeding right, didn't time the sleeps and the naps right? It's just, I don't know. It was just a bad decision. I don't know what I was thinking. I was probably tired, but I'm on the beach, and I'm like, okay, I need to get Eden off the beach. So I'm like, Eden, um, if you come off the beach afterwards, we can go get a pink ice cream. And, um, you know, I essentially bribed her. That is what I did. I did bribe her because, you know, I'm just like, no, it's not a teaching moment. I can't, I just can't make this a teaching moment right now. I'm just, whatever. I just want to do this calm and just functionally, okay, and just calmly come off the beach. So I'm like, we'll go get an ice cream. Anyway, so as soon as we get in the car, Dayla, um, who was writhing like a bag of snakes in my arms. She reminds me when we get in the car that it's actually nap time and feeding time. That's how bad my timing was that morning. Okay, so no feed, wake, sleep cycle that morning, yet. okay? I was not reading baby wires very well. Okay, so I'm like, I didn't time this right. So she starts screaming. So you can imagine what I had to do. I had to turn around and be like, Eden, I'm really... <laughs> It's heartbreaking. Eden, I'm really sorry, but we can't go get the pink ice cream right now. We'll go get one later. When Daddy gets home, he'll take you. And so <laughs> Daddy always saves the day. Now, I'm not going to go into details of what transpired thereafter, but um, let's just say Eden's very good at holding me accountable to what I say. Um, she, the entire way home, just repeats the promises back to me with quite emotionally. Um, like, pink ice cream! Pink! Pink ice cream! Like, again and again and again. And it's in this moment, as both my babies are simultaneously screaming at me and I'm in the front seat, I just start to think, oh, just thought about our, our relationship with the father because that's what I do in these moments. <laughs> When my toddlers are, when my babies are screaming, we're actually very together and scriptural. <laughs> and I'm not, I don't have white knuckles on the steering wheel at all. Um, <laughs> just like, why did I make this decision? Um, anyway, so in this moment, I'm actually, I did think, I did just kind of drop into my spirit. I'm like, oh, we're like this with the Father sometimes, aren't we? When he promises us stuff and we don't see it come to pass straight away or we don't think that he follows through with his promise, we do have a little bit of a fit sometimes, right? Because Eden, in the car she I tried to explain you can't really reason with a toddler when they're having a tantrum can I just add that it's very very difficult to like turn it into a teaching moment it is quite hard so as I'm sure you know many of us are aware and in this moment she doesn't want to listen to my reason she doesn't want to listen to you know the concept of other people like Dayla needing a nap and you know she doesn't want to listen to timing and and actually you know when all is well and calm and Paul's home from work then we can get the ice cream no she just all she knows is that I promised a pink ice cream and she would like me to follow through with that right now I said it and now she wants it. Now she would like me to follow through with that word, please. Okay, and I thought we do. I do this sometimes. I feel like I've done this for many years with God. I kind of have a bit of a fit um, when his promises don't seem to come to pass. And I thought, what if, what if the Father promises these things to us in the right time as opposed to right now? You know, the Word of God, the Bible, is full of promises for us. And we're taught as believers, are we not, to take them and, and believe them and prophesy them and repeat them back to God and to claim them as our own. But what if He promises them in the right time as opposed to right now? Just stay with me. We're going to go to Judges 13 this morning if you have your Bible. Stay with me. It's good. He's good. He's a good God. Have faith. This morning I want to share about preparing for the promise. Is that okay? Preparing for the promise. And this, is, this passage of Scripture, I'll just read you the first five verses. This is actually about the birth of Samson. But I don't want to talk about Samson so much in the next few moments that we have. I want to talk about Samson's mama. And, you know, she's not even, we're not even given her name. We just know her as Manoah's wife. Everybody say Manoah. 
Manoah, another great biblical name. So I'm going to read it. We'll read it together. I'm sorry I don't have it on the screen. So, and then the people of Israel were back at it again, doing what was evil in God's sight. So God put them under the domination of the Philistines for 40 years. At that time, there was a man named Manoah from Zorah, from the tribe of Dan. His wife was barren and childless. The angel of God appeared to her and told her, I know that you are barren and childless but you're going to become pregnant and bear a son. But take much care. Do not drink wine or beer, eat nothing ritually unclean. You are in fact pregnant right now, carrying a son. No razor will touch his head. The boy will be God's Nazarite from the moment of his birth. He will launch the deliverance from Philistine oppression. He will launch deliverance from the enemy oppression. Okay, do you love the girls in the Bible? I love the girls in the Bible and I keep accidentally preaching on them. Okay, I'm preaching on Manoah's wife today. I think last time I preached on like Esther or J.O. and it's great. The Bible rocks. So here we see the promise of God being given to Manoah's wife. The promise of God isn't delivered. It's not fulfilled in this passage that I've read this morning. It's given. It's actually, to be specific, it's impregnated, okay? And it's given to her to be carried until a certain point of time to be carried until a certain point of time. And I want to I notice the timing of God's promise. As in, when this angel of the Lord comes to her. You know, the country is actually, the, the nation of Israel is actually in national turmoil at this point in history, okay? They are breaking covenant with God and they're bringing curses upon themselves. So it's just a mess, all right? So this woman, who whatever her name is, she's surrounded by outer turmoil. Her surroundings are just in turmoil. And also, though, she, as we know, is barren and she's childless, okay? So she's navigating her own inner turmoil at this point of time because in that culture and in that society, if you were barren or if you didn't have uh, children, you know, this, your offspring, it defined your ability to, to have a son and a legacy. It, it determined your status in society, okay, as a woman and your, your acceptance in the community and your identity and your personhood was, was very much wrapped up as a woman in this ancient Hebrew culture to give birth to a son and your husband's as well. So it was very, she was carrying a burden. She wasn't carrying promise, actually. She was carrying a burden. And this woman, I think, is safe to say that she is in distress. And it's in this point in her life as she's surrounded by outer turmoil and inner turmoil, that God comes and interrupts her turmoil with a promise. Like, what's with the timing, God? Why does he not come to us? Like, I feel like so often, and not every time, you know, this isn't a formula, but so often in my life, I feel like God comes to me in the midst of the most impossible and the most turbulent circumstances, and that's when he decides to present this great big promise to me. You know, not so much when everything's functional and blessed and rich and working and successful. No, it's when it's like impossible and just turbulent and turbulent is when God comes and that's when he presents a promise and I'm like why God why do you do this and I feel like the reason the answer to that for me anyway is when God does that he's highlighting what Jesus says in Matthew 19 26 it says Jesus looked hard at them are you ready Jesus looked hard at them and said no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself every chance in the world if you trust God to do it No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself and on your own. But every chance in the world if you think, if you can trust God to do it. Amen. And I love the way God interacts with this woman in this point, okay? Because we must understand it's not actually an angel that comes to her. It's a Christophany. It's a a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ before he walked the earth. And I think it's really important that we understand that aspect this morning because she's not, God just doesn't send a messenger. Jesus Christ, she is talking to the Christ. She is in the presence of the Christ. She's interacting with God in this passage of scripture, I believe. I believe. And he, the way he interacts with her is so beautiful. He acknowledges her situation. He, acknowledge, he doesn't ignore it. He acknowledges it. Look what he says. He says, I know. I know you're barren and childless. I know. I've seen it. I know. Don't think that I've been ignoring you. Don't think that I do not see your pain. Don't think that I don't see your turmoil. 
I see that you're barren and childless. And notice there's actually, I want to say this morning, there's a difference between being barren and being childless. There's a difference because if you are childless, you have never, you cannot carry a baby to term. And if you are barren, it means you can't actually even conceive a baby. So for this woman, she actually falls into both categories. She can't fall pregnant and she can't have a baby. So for her, in her mind, there's no hope. There's no hope of offspring. There's no hope of a legacy and her identity and her personhood. It's all wrapped up in that. So outside of a miracle of God, she does not have any hope. And it's the midst of this situation that Jesus comes to her and he presents what I believe to be a twofold promise. A twofold promise. Turn to your neighbor and say twofold. Twofold. Okay. I know that you were barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and you're going to bear a son. Okay, interesting wording there. Why doesn't he just say you're going to bear a son? No, because the first miracle has to be passed and she actually has to fall pregnant first. He says, number one, you will fall pregnant because she couldn't conceive. Number two, you'll give birth because she was unable to carry the term. So he gives a two-fold promise in this moment. And it's this journey that I want to look at from this moment on this morning, if that's okay with us. Try and get through as fast as possible. But I, I feel like the Lord has a word for us as a church this morning. Is that okay? I want to look at the journey, okay, because the reality is I know in this house right now, in my life, in our lives, there are people in here, I am in here, we have promises of God, we believe that God has given us that are yet to be fulfilled, yet to have come to pass. We are waiting on the promises of God, okay? I have been waiting on promises from God. And I go, what do we do? What do we do this morning when we are waiting on the promise of God to be fulfilled in our lives? We prepare. We prepare for the promise. Amen. We prepare for the promise. Is that okay? The first thing we have to do when we prepare for the promise of God is actually believe it. You have to actually believe it. Everyone's always like, believe and receive. What do they say? I believe receive it. When we receive the promise, we must believe the promise. We actually have to believe that God is going to come through with what he said he would do. Because if we don't believe that God is going to do what he said he would do, we won't prepare accordingly. Okay, if we don't believe that people are going to get saved when they come into our church, we will not prepare accordingly. We have to prepare because we have to steward the promise. Amen. We have to prepare for the promise. All right. God says to her, take much care, drink no wine and beer, eat nothing ritually unclean. What is he doing? He's preparing her. Okay. And, and for her to actually do that. Okay. How many... No, we have to make some changes sometimes when the promise is coming. Okay, she had to change her lifestyle. She had to change her diet. This kid was going to be a Nazarite, so she had to eat like a Nazarite. Okay, they were unique. They were set apart. They had a certain lifestyle that set them apart, gave them a particularly unique strength from other Israelites. So she, as a prophetic act of faith, had to eat like a Nazarite. Okay, if she didn't believe that God was going to do this, she won't follow those instructions. You will not have the uh, conviction to prepare for the promise if you don't believe that God's going to fulfill it, right? You're not going to follow, you're not going to prepare accordingly if you don't believe that he's going to come through. People, I, know, I can just picture people around her as she's, you know, as she's following, you know, these instructions given and eating as a Nazarite. People would have questioned her and challenged her and be like, why are you doing this? You do not have any children. You've never been able to have children. Why are you doing this? And she simply had to believe because you know what? This woman had every reason in the world to believe that this promise wasn't going to be fulfilled. She had every reason to believe that she was not going to get pregnant or that she was going to miscarry or something like that. And she had nothing to believe that it would actually come to pass outside of the Word of God. Outside of the Word of God, she simply had to believe the Word of God and trust what she had been told. All right? And I want to tell us this morning that God is not flippant with promises. I have promises that I'm still waiting on, but you know what? I believe He's not flippant with promises. He's not like me, an imperfect, very human parent who can promise some things, but I haven't timed it right and I don't have my finger on the pulse and I just change it because I'm like, oh, sorry, that was bad. God isn't like that. He's the perfect parent with the perfect promises and he has the perfect timing. Amen. He has the perfect timing. And as she sat under the word of God, she became pregnant. 
She sat in the presence of the Christ and actually became pregnant as she sat under his word. Notice that the angel of the Lord says to her, you are in fact pregnant right now as I'm talking, carrying a son. And he prophesies over her and it comes to be. He doesn't even, God doesn't even finish his sentence and he's already fulfilled one of the promises. She doesn't know it yet. Because she can't see it on the outside. She can't see it at work yet in her life. She can't see it on the exterior. She simply had to believe. She simply just had to accept and trust the Word of God. Is that okay? We have to believe the Word of God this morning. Okay, the Word of God in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in His Word. Amen. And this morning, I want to tell us that there is no filler material in the Bible. God means what He says. We have to interpret it correctly in word and in truth, but He means what He says. All right. And we cannot let circumstances and emotions and seemingly broken promises dictate our doctrine. We don't get our theology from circumstances. We get our theology from one thing only. And what is it? It's the Word of God. Do we not build our life on the Word of God? Because I tell you what, circumstances change and emotions change, but what will endure forever? What will endure? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word will endure forever, says the Lord. My Word does not change. It endures and it never fails. His Word never fail. So sometimes I pray for people and they do not get healed. But do you know what? I don't get embarrassed on the half of God. I believe that He's a healer because the Word of God tells me that He is a healer. So I believe God is a healer and I believe that He is good and I believe that He is a compassionate God. And I refuse to let circumstances dictate what I believe about my God, only His Word. Amen. Is that all right this morning? Is that okay? You know, so as soon as you get in the presence of the Christ, as soon as you get in the presence of Jesus and you sit under his word, you become pregnant with promise. You have just positioned yourself to receive promise. And, you know, here's the thing. (laughs) Sometimes when God promises us something, there are instructions that go with it. Okay, this is not a formula, this is not law, but when God gives you a promise, some of the times there's instructions that come with it. Okay, Jesus, when he healed the blind man, what did he say? Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. There were instructions that came with the promise. Elisha, when he said to the leper, go wash in the river seven times and you will be healed. There are instructions that went with it. There was God privileged them and privileges us with an element of responsibility because he loves us. He doesn't bully us into submission. He loves us into submission. He always wants the best for me. He always wants the best for you. Okay, so he gives us instructions sometimes along with the promise that he gives. Manoah's wife that we've been reading about, she received some instructions, didn't she? She was told to eat as a Nazarite would. Okay, that unique diet of, of, a, of a Nazarite. She had to prophetically and faithfully do that. Okay, so the second part of receiving the promise of God and preparing the promise of God is actually to obey, to remain in obedience, to obey the instructions, okay? So she's given these instructions and then she runs back to her husband, Manoah, and, he, and she, uh, she tells him this story, uh, what has happened, this encounter. And it's almost like he can't quite believe it. Like, come on, it can't be that simple, right? It can't be that easy. We've been waiting for this promise like our entire lives, okay? We've seen, we've never seen it come to pass and you think just like an altar of your diet is going gonna, is gonna to cause this miracle to be birthed in our lives. Just this little change that you're making, these few changes that you're making is going to cause the birth of this miracle and this miracle is going to change the nation of Israel. Are you serious? So what does Manoah do like any man? He goes, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask, I want to talk to this guy myself, all right? So he goes and he asks, he says, Lord, I want to I want to encounter this angel of the Lord myself, okay? And so Manoah, and the Lord is gracious and he allows him to do that, okay? In verse 12, it says, so Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, he's talking to Jesus here, when your words are fulfilled, what is to, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life? What is the rule? He's saying, what do, how do I raise this thing? How do I, what do I do with this promise once I have it? And it's amazing because the angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I've told her. 
He just repeats the same instructions again. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or fermented drink. Okay, not eat anything unclean. Okay, he's just repeating the diet of a Nazarite. She must do everything that I've commanded her. Okay, so he's not giving any new information here. He's repeating the preparation, the instruction that he'd already given. Okay, because her, imperi- her, her obedience in the process, her obedience as she waited for the promise was imperative to the outcome of the promise. The destiny and the outcome of the promise, it starts back here with the instructions that God gave back here. The obedience back here and the preparation along the way back here. It actually started back here. It's as simple as that because do you know what? God doesn't want your works. He just wants your obedience. He doesn't want, you don't earn promises from God. And I just feel like we, I, we need to be reminded of that this morning. You don't earn the promises of God. You never did. (laughs) Your actions didn't save you. They can't unsave you, okay? You cannot earn the promises of God. And he doesn't want your works. He doesn't like your works. He, not faith without works. You know what I'm saying here. He wants your obedience because he wants your heart. He wants your obedience because he wants your heart. Okay, so when he gives you a promise, you better believe he wants you to remain obedient in the midst of that promise. Okay, this woman, Manoah's Manoah's wife, she had to stay obedient to the Lord's instruction as she waited. As she waited for this promise to come to pass, okay, to be fulfilled in her life. She had to remain obedient. She had to stick to the path and stick to the instructions given. Yeah, she couldn't, don't come up with your own counterfeit solution, okay, Manoah's wife. Don't try, that didn't work well for Sarah. It's not going to work well for you, okay. Come up, just follow, just stick to what I've told you to do. Just remain in obedience. Just remain in relationship with me. It's like this is what the Lord is telling you. Like, don't you worry. Okay, just obey me. Just obey me and I'll deliver the promise. Yeah, just stick to the path. Just stay in obedience. While you wait, I'll deliver. Yeah, you be still and I'll fight for you. In your weakness, I will show myself strong. All you got to do, baby, is just remain obedient to me. Yeah, many of us have heard this story, but I just felt like instructed off the Lord <laughs> to, uh, to tell it. Um, for many, many years, Paul and I actually prayed and prayed and prayed, and I'm sure other people <laughs> did as well, that he would have that... Um, have that scripture position in Mullum High School that you're referring to. We <laughs> we wanted it. We just wanted it. We wanted Mullumbimby High. It wasn't, you know, against anyone else. We just wanted Mullumbimby High School because what a position, what um influence you can have among the young people of the Shire. Mullumbimby High was like the holy grail. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like Paul was born and bred in Mullumbimby and I felt it wasn't me but actually him to have that, to have that job. And I just, we prayed. We prayed for years and years, you know. And it's funny, we didn't just sit there and pray and sort of let things happen. We Along the way, God actually gave us instructions and it's funny, you don't see it as clearly until afterwards after you have the promise. Isn't that always the way? Like I realised, you know, years, actually ironically when I fell pregnant with Eden as soon as I fell pregnant with Eden the Lord um, instructed me I felt to apply for the job of a scripture teacher in Byron High we know it came up because Serena my good friend who had the job she went traveling and so I thought well I felt you know duh go and apply for the job but still we actually still wanted Mullenbimby High but I thought all right Lord I'll I'll obey your instructions here and I applied for the job and I got it and it was it was great it well, it was hard I was throwing up all the time <laughs> it's really hard and you know it's just for six months and you go what's What's the six-month stint? Like she comes back and takes her job back and you just think, well, is that it, God? Okay, we didn't even I – didn't, I wanted Mullenbimby High and like it just lasted six months at Byron High School. Like what was that, you know? And you just think that doesn't make much sense. But then what happens is the Ballina scripture teacher job comes up and <laughs> and we felt it's not even our shire and we felt like instructed by the Lord. I f- we felt the Lord say, apply for that job apply for that job. You just trust me and you go and you apply for that job. And we're like, okay. Um, 
And Paul, he applies for the job. And we think, we've got Buckleys. Like, we're not even from Ballina. There's youth pastors who are applying in from Ballina, applying for the job. Like, as if Paul's going to get it. Who is this kid? Neither of us have a teaching degree, okay? We have no experience in this. Miraculously, Paul gets the job. And you just go, what? Okay, still not making sense because still not what we were praying for, okay? So he spends an entire year at Ballina, okay? And I realise, hey, my... My six months, <laughs> very small amount of experience in Byron High helped prepare Paul for that job, okay? Because, again, we never taught in a classroom, okay? Like, it's different. It's so different. I feel like more of a student than a teacher in the high school. So, And, you know, I could prepare Paul by, you know, helping him with curriculum and classroom management and interaction with teachers. It was like my little pieces of advice could help him prepare for that job and then at the end of that year um we felt again you know this is the end of a whole year at Ballina High scripture teaching for Paul and we felt the Lord instruct us to pray and fast for 21 days and we said okay we'll do that and on that fast we were to pray and intercede around Mullumbimby okay so me and Paul we, we get on our little bicycles <laughs> true story and we start riding around the Mullumbimby the town and we start praying like idiots just riding and just decre- decreeing the presence of God and the goodness of God and the presence of God we're in the skate park okay we went weird there's no one there but we're just like I love your presence, you know, just praying and declaring, you know, dedicating it to the Lord. I don't know. We're just doing that, okay? We felt like we should do that, so we did that. And then on the last, I think it was the last day of the fast, can't remember now, instead of having youth, it was a Friday night, instead of having youth, we felt the Lord say, no, 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 you take the youth that you have in your hands and take them around Mullumbimby and you are to lay hands on strategic areas around Mullumbimby and get them to pray and pray with them. Okay, so, all right, God, we'll just do that. And so we laid, it was great. Where's Matthias? Matthias, were you there? Yeah, you were there. Thanks for that because you're so part of that. We laid hands on the council chambers at like, I don't know, eight o'clock at night and we're like, open up for Jesus and we left little hearts with scriptures and promises of God on them. We went to the skate park and we left scriptures there and started praying over the skate park. And we went to Santos because that place is awesome and needs prayer. So we left, you know, a scripture on the pinup board. And then we felt the Lord go <laughs> drive to Mullumbimby High School. <laughs> and so we went, we drove to Mullumbimby, we drove all the kids there. And he said, lay your hands on those locked gates right now. And I want you to prophesy that those gates will open up in the name of Jesus for the presence of the Lord to flow forth. So we laid hands on the gates and we go, Jesus, open up in Jesus' name. You know, just awesome youth prayers. And we left a, you know, a scripture from Romans about the Holy Spirit pouring out on, on like right above the entrance. Anyway, next morning at 7 a.m., we get an email. Paul gets an email <laughs> literally asking him to apply for that job in Mullumbimby High School because like out of nowhere, um, the current teacher who's fabulous, but he had left, okay, he already has, um, he'd already had several scripture teaching positions. So he, he was leaving and they were like, Paul Dent, can you please apply for this job? <laughs> And I was like, oh, I felt like that praying that night was like the final, like, sorry, boys, but labor. Do you know what I mean? Like the final push and the baby's out and the promise is fulfilled. So, sorry, boys, okay. <laughs> but that's what it felt like. And we we're like, oh, God. But, you know, in hindsight, <laughs> in hindsight, I look back and I go, that's why you didn't give it to me straight away I need it we are inexperienced we don't know what we're doing in this position is actually really important because it's not just about what we want it's about what God wants to do and other people so he's like I'm going to send you to Byron High for six months so you can prepare Paul for Ballina and then I'm going to send Paul to Ballina for a year so he can prepare for Mullumbimby High <laughs> and so then now he's in Mullumbimby High and then what happens well God goes above and beyond what he promises because he gave us Byron High School and Mullumbimby high school and now we've got both the high schools plus hinterland christian college like they let us go in there and preach at that chapel it's amazing and this is what the promises of god look like to me they look like bigger and better and greater than what you ever thought or imagined but they actually go beyond you and your obedience in the process is imperative to the outcome It's imperative to the destiny of what it's going to look like because he allows you to co-labor with him in the process. Isn't he a beautiful God? Isn't he a beautiful, beautiful God? So hallelujah. Let's steward 
God's promises. Okay, let's prepare for his promises. Let's have hearts of faith that go, okay, I don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet, but I believe his word is true and I'm going to prepare. I'm going to prepare in faith. Amen? So good. And, you know, there's one more thing that she had to do and that we have to do when we are preparing, when we are actively preparing for the promise of God to come forth in our life. And it's wait. (laughs) And it's the part that we hate. We have to wait. (laughs) We have to wait. Okay, she had nine, or if she was anything like me, she had ten long months to wait for that promise of God. Manoah's wife I'm talking about here, she had ten long, ten, I'm just saying ten because I had to wait ten months. Nine or ten months, okay, of potential like discomfort and nausea and like, hospitalization if she's like me okay she had a long time to wait to see that promise come to pass because God he's just a seasonal God he lies outside of timing it's in his nature okay so he takes timing into account but he's not dominated by it okay he created it he's not dominant by it let's not be silly here okay so we hate waiting it's like Eden with a pink ice cream we don't sometimes I know this is I'm so preaching to myself this morning I don't realize the concept of like readiness and other people being involved in the process and preparation. And so I'm just like, I have a bit of a fit. I'm like, I'm so sick of waiting, God. But waiting is actually a part of the process. But I want to say something. I want to qualify that this morning. There is a difference between waiting and waiting in position. There's a difference between waiting and waiting in position. Okay, she was told... She was given instructions, sorry. And you know what? She could not leave Israel. She was not to leave Israel. And you would think that in the midst of this time in history, when Israel's just a mess, okay, it's dangerous, people are doing evil things, she should have, you know, fleed for comfort, okay, for what felt more safe, you know, to get more comfortable as she carries this promise. But no, she had to stay. She had to stay in Israel and wait in that position, And you know why? (laughs) Because the promise that she was given was so much bigger than her. Okay, it wasn't just about her inner turmoil and what she was going through in her life and setting her free from that grief and heartbreak of not being able to bear children and, and, and giving, you know, freedom, blessing and offspring and legacy and promise to her life. It was so much bigger than her because there was a nation that was in turmoil and the Lord said, you're going to give birth to the promise that is going to launch the deliverance from that turmoil and Israel is going to come into a place and a season of freedom and blessing. Okay, but but. It was, so it was bigger than her. So if she left Israel, it was, she would have gotten into disobedience and it changes. She had to stay in Israel because it wasn't just about her. When we receive the promise of God, we've got to stay in position. We've got to wait in position. We've got to wait in the house of God. We've got to wait connected with His people. We've got to wait in the Word of God. We've got to wait in the presence of God. Don't go anywhere else. Don't disconnect yourself from the house of God. Don't disconnect yourself from the presence of God. You wait in position. Hallelujah. Because it's bigger than you. Sometimes it's not just about the promise in your life but it's about the promiser. It's about turning people to say, look how good their God is. Hallelujah. It's not always just about us. Amen. Amen. Is that okay? You know, and I believe that's why in other translations of this particular passage of Scripture, it actually the Lord instructs them to dedicate that child from the womb. So not when the child is born, not when the, when the promise has come, but dedicate him from the womb when you can't see it yet. Because you know what? God is not obligated to grow and bless what does not belong to him. And so we must lay it down and give it to the Lord and wait in position and allow him to grow and him to bless and him to touch whatever promise we're carrying in our lives. We've got to lay it down. We've got to give it to him and allow him to work behind the scenes. Is that okay? Yes, hallelujah. Birthing Samson wasn't just about his mama. It was about Israel. Okay, she gave birth to the one. Okay, the promise of their deliverance. She gave birth to the one who would grow up. And in the prime of his life, he would get bound 
by the enemy, the Philistines. They would gouge out his eyes. They would mock him before all the people. And in that temple, in that pagan temple, if you've read the story, he breathes his last. As, as he breathes his last, he cries out to the Lord for strength. And you know the story. He gets the two pillars and he pushes them. And in one foul swoop, he destroys 3,000 Philistines, 3,000 enemies of God and so fulfills the ultimate of that promise. He fulfills the promise, the enemy, the, the stronghold of the enemy has been defeated. Does that not sound like somebody else we know? Does that not sound like Jesus? The one, what you were saying, Caroline, thank you. To us, a promise, a son was born and he grew up and in the prime of his life, in the prime of his life, he was mocked and bound to the cross and, and, and spat upon and mutilated and he died on the cross. But in doing that, he would fulfill what was actually promised and launch God's people into freedom. He would destroy the works of the enemy of God's people and launch them into freedom and blessing. Amen. This is what he came to do. But as we kind of finish this morning, Kind of. I'm not done yet. I'm not done actually yet. But you can prepare accordingly, worship team. Because <laughs> we love you. <laughs> when Jesus was hanging on that cross, when he was crucified, it didn't look like a promise fulfilled. It looked like the promise was dying, actually. It looked like the promise was being ripped out from under their feet. It looked like the promise was miscarried. Because they, this isn't what they expected. They were promised, the disciples and God's people, they were promised from the Word of God, from the Holy Scriptures of old, they were promised a Messiah. They were promised a Saviour. They were promised a King who would come and deliver them from Roman oppression. Okay, this is, what, this is the mindset of the disciples. They're like, you promised, you promised that we would have this Saviour, this beautiful Messiah King who would come powerfully and strong and mighty and riding on horses and deliver us from Roman oppression that are making our lives hell at the moment. And in this moment, as they're watching Jesus die on the cross, it just looked like the promise had miscarried. And I feel like the attitude in the hearts of the disciples is so encapsulated by when Mary, Mary in John chapter 20, she looks in the empty tomb. She goes, she sees the stones rolled away and she looks in the empty tomb and she just, in the midst of everything... She looks in the empty tomb and you just, all she sees is empty promise. Just looks like empty promise. Because you've got to understand for someone like Mary Magdalene I'm talking about. How are we going back there? It's okay. As long as it's not me. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. Just listen to me. There's no plan B for Mary, okay? Mary Magdalene, her broken life and what Jesus had delivered her from and what he had promised her and in the midst of this culture of female oppression, okay, there was no plan B. Jesus was her only hope. And as she looks in that empty tomb, I guarantee you all she sees is empty promises. And what does she do? She does what any girl would do. She has a fit, okay? Any of us, she has a fit, all right? Because she's heartbroken and hope deferred makes the heart it makes it sick. Promise deferred makes the heart sick. And she weeps and she's heartbroken and she's grieved. And you know what she says? She goes, my Lord, my Lord, they've taken him from me. John 20 verses 13. She goes, she's a mess. Okay, she doesn't, she's not thinking logically. She's not thinking about the scriptures. She's not thinking about what it all means and what God could be piecing together behind the scenes. She's just, she's in her emotions. And so, it's so understandable. She's like, I don't know who they are even, but my God, my promise, they've taken him from me. They've taken him away because I can't see him. I can't feel him. All I see is an empty hole in a rock where he should be and he is gone. Church, have you ever felt like the promise was ripped right out of your feet? Like the wheels fall off at last minute? Like you thought you were so close, you came so close to your promise and then it's just taken away? Or it looks like it's not there? And you just go, God, they've taken him from me. Or we get mad at God and we say, God, you've taken my promise from me. You've taken my promise from me. 
Do you know what happens when we do? If you let, if you refuse to believe that God is as good as He says He is, and if you don't believe that God is faithful to His word, fear will set in because the opposite of love is fear. And we begin to live in fear and we begin to live from a mindset of fear and religion. And so what happens? Some things transpire and then we come to the upper room and the disciples have hidden. They've locked themselves in. They've put walls up between them and other people because they are in fear. What does the Scripture say? It says in verse 19, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. All right, there is outer turmoil around them, surrounding them. The Jews are going crazy. There's rioting. They've just committed unspeakable evil and crucified the Son of God. Okay, their promise looks dead. They are surrounded by evil. But you know what? By turmoil. But they're also navigating inner turmoil. They're like, they're like, I'm so heartbroken. I'm so disappointed. This doesn't make sense to me. They are grieved. They don't understand. And I love this because in the midst of the walls that they've put up and the lock that they've put on the door who walks through the walls but the promiser Jesus walks through walls church you can't lock God out of your life you can't lock and put walls of offense up and walls of fear up and walls of disappointment up against God because he loves you too much to stay away from you and he walks straight through those walls and in the midst of their inner and outer turmoil what does the Christ do he he presents what I believe to be a twofold promise He presents what I believe to be a two-fold promise. You see, the promise wasn't dead. It was just delayed. And delay is not denial. Delay is just another word for God's perfect timing. Okay, delay is not denial. It's another word for God's perfect timing. So in walks the promiser and presents a promise. John 20 verse 21, and Jesus said, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them as they sat in His presence and under His Word, they received a promise. They became impregnated with promise. But guess what they had to do? They had to do three things, church. They had to believe that He was the Son of God. They had to obey the instructions given and they had to wait in position. We read about it in Acts 1 verses 3 to 5. It says, as they met and ate meals together, He told them that they were on no account, on no account to leave Jerusalem but must wait must wait for what the Father promised. The promise you heard from me, John baptised in water, you will be baptised in the Holy Spirit and soon. Everybody say, and soon. And soon. Come on, say it louder. And soon. Come on, they had to believe, they had to obey the instructions and they had to wait in position. And do you know what? At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit poured out, when what Nev was quoting this morning, Acts 2, The promise was born. Do you know what that promise was? It was the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ was born that day. And you know what? 3,000 men didn't die that day when Samson did it. 3,000 men received life. 3,000 men received life. They received the Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus Christ was born. And do you know what? The promise for the disciples was so much bigger than them. It was so much bigger than what they ever anticipated or imagined. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about delivering them from Roman oppression. It was about the entire world. It was about the world, church. Come on. I want you to stand this morning. I want you to stand. Stand. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. But I want us to prophetically do something this morning. I want us to prophetically do something. Because the promise is not so much about you, but the promiser. And I want somebody in here this morning to know that He never broke His promise to you. He did not break His promise to you. You can have confidence in Him. You can have faith in His goodness. He did not break His promise to you. It's just the fulfilment of it is going to look different to what you imagine. He's orchestrating something behind the scenes, a beautiful tapestry behind the scenes that you cannot see yet. But I want to prophesy over you that you will see it. And we are entering into a season of seeing the fulfilment of promises and receiving promises. And you can't lock Jesus out. Your walls are no match for Jesus, church. So come on, as we sing this song, I want to say something that I feel the Lord put on my heart. Two things. If 
you want to receive the promise, or if you want that promise to be fulfilled, why don't you come forward this morning? And I'm not going to make you do anything weird. Just sing this song. Come forward. Just sing this song. If you've got promises that you want to see fulfilled, come on. If you've got promises you actually want to be impregnated with, that you want to receive, you come. You come. Come on. Have faith in the house. Is there faith in the house this morning? That God is good. That He's going to be steady. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to pour out and fulfill something this morning. Hallelujah. Let's sing this song. that promise just raise your hands to him and just let him speak to you and refresh that promise there's some promises being refreshed and reminded and courage and faith put in you in Jesus name hallelujah thank you Jesus yes he's faithful and he will restore he will rebuild He will come through. He will show himself to you faithful. You know, one of the greatest promises that we can ever have given to us is a promise of righteousness, of a relationship with God. That our life will be held by his hands and that his love will keep us forever. You know, and just as Nikki was talking about, like they were, they were trapped in that room. They locked themselves in and fear. And, you know, I just, I know before I came to Jesus, I lived a life of insecurities and with walls around and I locked myself in and it was full of fear and all my, my sin and my yarkness and my running from God. I, that's what I lived in. And I thought, no, no, he can't come in here. He can't come in here. But you know, Jesus runs through our walls. Jesus comes right in to where we are, right in and meets us right at our fear, meets us right at our mess, meets us right where we are. Jesus meets us. And the Bible says that those who turn to the Lord, those who, who turn and call on the name of Jesus will be saved. That those who confess their sins will be cleansed of all unrighteousness. All wrongdoing will be forgiven and washed away. And that promise of being held by a God forever into eternity of love that will hold your life and will walk with you and be your best friend every single day. He will carry you. He will make you new. He will give you a brand new start. Jesus promises that to you. And I want to give an opportunity, church, for anyone here this morning, if you have never called out to Jesus, you have never asked for forgiveness, you don't actually know where you are, your life is a mess, you need forgiveness, you need a brand new start. If there's anyone here in that position this morning, with every eye closed, can we just close our eyes, church, just to to create a, a space. If someone here wants to respond, and if there's anyone here and you're in that position, And you know you want a brand new start. You want to receive Jesus into your life. You want Him to come and make you brand new. Why don't you just raise your hand right now and just declare that and just raise your hand to Jesus. Just call out to Jesus and say, I want you within my life. If anyone is here, will you raise your hand? If you're in that position right now, will you raise your hand? Hallelujah. Church, will we pray? Can we pray together? Can we pray for those who have got their hands raised? Can we pray this prayer and repeat it after me? If you have raised your hand this morning, will you repeat this prayer? Jesus, make me new. Jesus, forgive me of my wrong. I make you the Lord of my life, Jesus. Jesus, will you come and show me how to live? Jesus, will you help me every day? I can't do it on my own. 
And I need your help, Jesus. Will you come into my heart and give me a brand new life? In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome.